Hello, John Smith. Pocahontas, that tree is talking to me. Then you should talk back. Don't be frightened, young man. My bark is worse than my bite. Minute. I'm Rick. And I'm Julia. And today we are watching Pocahontas, the 1995 Disney movie directed by Mike Gabriel and Eric Goldberg and written by Carl Bender, Susanna Grant, and Philip Zebnik. Starring Mel Gibson, Linda Hunt, and Christian Bale, as well as many others. Those three are just the top three that IMDb list as the main three. It's not even the main characters. Okay, hold up just a second. Christian Bale is in this movie? Yeah. Okay. I had no idea. I'm, I'm jumping on IMDb now because I really had no clue that Christian Bale was in this movie. Uh, who does he play? He plays Thomas. <laughs> I was going to make a Thomas the Tank Engine joke, but it's not that funny. You realize what you just did right now. You basically did a who are you question and I gave you the name and the name meant nothing to you. <laughs> So we are at the tail end of our hiatus. We are very close to starting Thunderdome. But to break the illusion for a moment, we are actually fresh off of Road Warrior. We are down at Julia's sister's house recording our first hiatus material that's going to air at the end of our hiatus leg. So it's all sorts of screwy. So you are going to hear things because we are in... A house full of people. And after we're done watching the movie, we're going to be joined by more of Julia's family. So in the meantime, you're going to hear shuffling. You're going to hear kitchen noises as we go over this pre-part. So as I mentioned before, Pocahontas features Mel Gibson as John Smith. It features Irene Bedard as the speaking voice of Pocahontas and Judy Kuhn as the singing voice of Pocahontas, as well as... David Ogden Steers as Governor Radcliffe, as well as Wiggins, who I'm not quite sure who Wiggins is, but he does double duty there. And then... Billy Connolly. Mm-hmm. And He's... Billy Connolly plays a guy named Ben. Yep. So lots of big names, lots of people that are in other things. The main reason we're watching Pocahontas is because we needed a kid's movie for hiatus, and the options were Pocahontas or Babe Pig in the City. And basically, I got voted down. So instead of watching a George Miller-directed and written movie, we are watching a movie where Mel Gibson goes into the wilderness and runs into a bunch of people wearing animal skins. So topical for the fact that we're going to be watching Thunderdome in a week or two. Yes. I think the main reason that you got voted down was because we are in Williamsburg, Virginia, visiting my family for Christmas. Mm -hmm. We are literally right down the road from where this movie is supposed to be set. Yes. So I think that's the main reason why you got voted down. Yeah. It has been, oh gosh, years since the last time I saw this movie. I remember the music being really good because it's Alan Menken who wrote the music. I remember liking the raccoon because I got a thing about raccoons. They're like my favorite animal. I'm expecting it to still be good. I'm expecting it to hold up. I think it's going to mostly hold up. There are definitely some social issues that I never thought of as a child, or frankly, even as a young adult, <laughs> that I think about now as a full-fledged adult. 
that I think I'll notice. Uh-huh. I'm looking forward to hearing the music again. Because, yeah, you're right. The, the soundtrack is amazing. And not every song is amazing, but I think a lot of them are. Yeah. yeah. I don't remember all of the songs off the top of my head. I'm not remembering it that clearly. But, you know, you've got Colors of the Wind and Just Around the River Bend and... Um... Others, I assume, <laughs> that are good. I mean, you've got those two. At the very least, you've got those two. Yes, they're very memorable. And like I said, it's because Alan Menken. The guy is great when it comes to writing and directing music. So they've got that in the bag. Yeah. What else has he done? Oh, Alan Menken? For one, he did Hunchback of Notre Dame. Which I never got into. It's an acquired taste. Yeah. Aside from that, he did the 2017 Beauty and the Beast movie. He did some music for Once Upon a Time, the TV series with all of the fairy tale creatures. Oh, he did some work on The Voice. Mm-hmm. He did Probably... music for Galavant, oh, the TV yeah. series. Yeah, Which that had was some funny. really good music. Yes, it did. He did the music for the original Beauty and the Beast, Aladdin, those movies. Tangled. Mm-hmm. Newsies, the 1992 Disney movie version, I want to say. Yep. Man, it's, it's, uh, he did the music for Rocky V, Little Mermaid, Little Shop of Horrors in 1986. Like... Like everything is on this list. Mm-hmm. Talking about 147 soundtrack credits. Wow. Which is nothing to shake a stick at. At the very least, the music will be good. Yes. Um, do you have any... Expectations for this movie? Not specifics. It's one of those movies I haven't seen in quite some time. Mm. So I'm expecting to understand it in a different way than watching it as a teenager or a young adult. What about you? I expect that I'll be more focused on Mel Gibson's vocal performance. Like when we go outside of our core movies to other things that he's done, I feel like I pay more attention to what he does. And I mean, by 1995, he's been in the game for a long time. A very established, very talented actor. Mm-hmm. I mean, Pocahontas came out the same year as Braveheart, which we watched in our first big chunk of hi- hiatus episodes. Really? So I didn't I'm realize that. Guessing something on that same level of quality. Anyway, we're going to go watch the movie, and uh, I'll play the trailer for everybody that's listening, and we'll come back with a couple more extra people after sitting down to watch the movie. the daughter of a chief. She has her mother's spirit. She goes wherever the wind takes her. Come down here! And she lived a life of freedom. No! Not that way! Watch out! Come on, lads! Steady on your course! He was an explorer, searching for adventure in a new land. Come on, man. We didn't come all this way just to look at it. Let us hope they do not intend to stay. I'm counting on you to make sure those heathens don't disrupt our mission. I... I made it myself. But though their worlds were very different... These pale visitors are strange to us. No one is to go near them. Their destinies were one. From Walt Disney Pictures comes the story of an American legend. Who are you? Pocahontas. Come run the hidden pine trails of the forest. Come taste the sun-sweet berries of the earth. Come roll in all the riches. Wonder what there were. Oh. Hello, 
John Smith? The tree is talking to me. Then you should talk back. He's handsome, too. Oh, I like her. She believed in her dreams. Volkworm has asked to seek your hand in marriage. I think my dream is pointing me down another path. Followed her heart. What are you doing here? I had to see you again. You'll be turning your back on your own people. I can't leave you. And found a love that changed the world. Let the spirits of the earth guide you. I love him, Father. Bravo! On June 23rd, Disney presents its all-new 33rd full-length animated motion picture. With music by Academy Award winner Alan Menken and lyrics by award-winning lyricist Stephen Schwartz. And you'll never hear the wolf cry to the blue horn moon for whether we are white or copper-skinned. This summer, experience the adventure. Pocahontas. Okay, so we are all back. We just watched the movie. Let's go around the table and just so everybody can get a name to the voice. Hi, my name is Brian. Hi, my name is Christina. Hi, my name is Jim. Hi, my name is Allison. And this is all Julia's family. Yep. So if you're wondering where Julia gets it from... Yeah, if all the women in this recording sound exactly the same. I was just thinking that. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I've been hearing that my entire life. <laughs> I remember when Dad would say that he'd be like upstairs or downstairs and he'd hear us talking and he wouldn't know who it was that was talking. Yeah. <laughs> but anyway, we just finished the movie. So what is everyone's initial reaction after watching Pocahontas after all this time? There's an awful lot of stereotypes. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah, it is kind of stereotype the movie. With the way they look and the way they talk. Definitely. Not just on the Native American side, which is what you expect from remembering watching this movie, that it's Mm. so heavily stereotyped for the Native Americans, but also from the British. Absolutely. I thought just from a, like, animation and performance standpoint, it was really cheap and it was not Disney's best work Mm. at all. Not even close. Thinking back to it, that mid to late 90s area. Well... But here's it was the thing. so hit or miss. While we were watching it, I just took a quick peek at Aladdin, which was 1992, and Mulan, which was 1998, I think. And neither of them had that same cheap, thin quality that Pocahontas had. They were richer, more detailed. Pocahontas felt rushed and just not the rich Disney world that we would expect. Yeah, very thin. Yeah, specifically in, in regards to Pocahontas herself. Mm-hmm. Mom mentioned her hair and how it, like, you know, of course, with the wind blows, it always lands perfectly, but it had movement, but it was totally flat. Yes. There was, there was no dimension to her hair. There was no dimension to anyone's faces or their movements or her hair or any of that. It was very, very flat. The Hunchback of Notre Dame was in 1996, and I think it had that same flat, simplistic Oh, yeah. Quality. That's, yeah, I forgot about that. The Hunchback of Notre Dame, it's another Alan Menken composed with, in another instance where 
the music had some really high points, but the animation and story, mm. and I think it's because it was pulling from another, like, period piece idea. Like, you think of Aladdin and the fairy tale princesses, like, those are fantastic stories. They're not trying to pull from anything that actually existed. So that whole mid-90s adapt something that might have been more or less real experiment they did, yeah, it just... Mm. Christina hates that one, too. <laughs> You, yes. mean, you mean you're not a big fan of the movie that starts with the almost the death of a baby? <laughs> the two the two worst Disney movies in the history of Disney movies right there. <laughs> Pocahontas and Hunchback. Brian, what is your initial reaction as we're coming out of it? Um I don't know. <laughs> <It's> just, <laughs> I, I feel like out of all of us, you were the one that was most gawking at the historical inaccuracies. Yeah, I was I was looking at some of the historical accuracies on online and that it seemed to me yeah i'm a little bit of a history nerd <laughs> but it, it seemed to me that it didn't really follow history at all it just kind of took an idea and disney made their own story out of it mm -hmm. totally. so i mean as, as far as john smith and them not even being in any kind of romantic relationship pocahontas marries john rolfe not john smith and she was 10. <laughs> so John Smith's kind of a creeper there. <laughs> I don't think they had at the beginning of this movie any sort of text that said based on a real story or anything like that. Right. I think right. they were so intent on not even trying to be accurate. <laughs> yeah. I think so. And one of the, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and one, of, one of the first things that I think we all noticed was that Jamestown didn't look a thing like Jamestown. No, no. <laughs> where, where are the mountains? <laughs> where are the waterfalls? Like, there's none of that here. There's not even water deep enough anywhere here in the Williamsburg Jamestown area to jump off of anything and and live if you landed in it. <laughs> Water here is like three feet deep. <laughs> I too was reading a little bit of the history thing, and John Smith was not really all that nice a guy. He was sort of pretentious, and a lot of people think that he kind of lied about the whole she saved his life bit just to make it seem more spectacular. You know, that doesn't seem very hard to believe at all <laughs> based on the portrayal of John Smith that we saw here. Like, I totally believe that he would go back and do that just based on the character we saw. Whether or not Grandmother Willow said he had a good heart, I mean... <laughs> There were certain portions where John Smith was talking where I was like, ooh, that's problematic language right there. But we'll get into that more as we go through the plot. Someone went on the Pocahontas wiki page on Wikipedia and did an amazing write-up for the plot summary. So I don't have to do this out of memory like I sometimes have to do. So we can actually go through the plot and actually have it be pretty comprehensive. So Pocahontas starts off in England. We don't start off in Virginia with the people of Pocahontas. We start with John Smith and everyone is getting on this boat. According to the Wikipedia page, the boat is called the Susan Constant and they are sailing from London to Virginia, signing people up, getting on board. Everyone's saying goodbye to their families. And John is like the superstar rock star guy. Getting on the boat. Exactly. I mean, he's arguably the biggest name in the cast. So... <laughs> Of course, they would make him seem all amazing. I want to emphasize, you said arguably, because Billy Connolly is in this cast. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Criminally underused in this movie. And he's supposed to be funny. And he wasn't at all. <laughs> 
think if they had redone this movie now with this movie trend of dramatic action movies that are also funny, he would be used in a completely different way. Yep. He would actually be funny. But when I remembered that he was in this movie, I was like, oh, great, I get to hear Billy Connolly be funny. Mm. No, not not even a little bit. See, I'm so used to hearing Billy Connolly as Billy Bones in Muppet <laughs> Treasure Island. <laughs> <laughs> like, that's my Billy Connolly. Yeah. And then... Um, <laughs> And then a close second behind that is his character from Boondock Saints, where he's just the weird dad with all the pistols all over him. (laughs) But his voice is really distinct, and it stands out more or less like a sore thumb. So as they are sailing from London to Virginia, there's this big storm. It's the first, I guess, action scene of the movie. And one of the settlers is this guy named Thomas, and he is trying to secure cannon, and he gets swept overboard. Thomas is voiced by Christian Bale. Christian Bale back in 1995, basically just being baby Batman. (laughs) (laughs) Completely unable to do anything right. Val Kilmer sucks. I just appreciate the fact that Mad Max leaps into the ocean and saves Batman from drowning. (laughs) Well, yeah. (laughs) Because Batman has no superpowers. Right. Mad Max is good at what he does, being mad. And Batman is good at being rich, I guess. It really doesn't get any more crazy than what we see John Smith do because he ties a rope around his waist and I guess the rope is attached to the rigging or something like that. And so he tells one of the crew to, I guess, pull the pins. And so he pulls, it's, what do you call on a boat where they wrap the rope around pegs and things like that? The capstan? Yeah. So they pull that. It lets all this slack out. John jumps over the side of the boat, dives into the ocean, and then Thomas, so I guess can't swim. Don't know why no one can swim in movies, but... Although he was standing perfectly still in the water. Yeah, which means... He wasn't bobbing or head lolling or anything. He was just, like, standing perfectly upright still. (laughs) Yeah, he should have been... Flailing. Under. He should have been under. Yeah. (laughs) In a storm like that? Yeah. He should have been dead already. (laughs) What I like about this scene is the fact that John is able to save Thomas, and not only does he save Thomas, he saves Thomas's hat. <laughs> well, yeah. When they got up, although he reached into his shirt and he pulled out and then wrung out Thomas's hat, and I'm like, really? That's your priority? <laughs> step one, Thomas. Step two, his hat. Maybe Thomas isn't Thomas without that hat. Yeah, like Indiana Jones. You gotta save the hat. They just had to show how awesome John Smith was. Yeah, he's so capable <laughs> they that he also saved the hat. They needed to establish that early, yeah. I have a question about Thomas's rescue. So, I'm really trying hard not to call him Mel. John says, pull the pin. That pin's attached to, like, a sail or something. They show it, like, flapping in the wind now. How many lives did he risk by that sail flapping violently in the wind to save one life? Sailors? It's Disney. They wouldn't risk any more lives. <laughs> <laughs> no lives for risk in the making of this scene. <laughs> it's funny. I ask for the sailor's opinion. Jim and Brian, you guys are submariners. You don't deal with sails. <laughs> <laughs> I know. When you asked him about like tying up the rain, I was like, he doesn't know. But he did. He looks like a computer screen all day. <laughs> okay. Belaying pin. A belaying pin. <clears throat> My dad used to have one of those. Yeah, a sailboat? A belaying pin. Well, and a sailboat. No, her dad. Oh, her dad. Oh, I thought you said dad. Like my dad. My dad, who actually knows. Oh my gosh, there are too many sailors in this family. (laughs) (laughs) Not possible. (laughs) Technically, we've already missed one song because there was a 
chorus song called the Virginia Company before the ship even left. But the important thing about that song, not so much its instance in England, but there's a quick reprise here on the ship where they sing about killing Indians when they get there, and they are just gung-ho about murdering natives. And, oh, that is a theme that persists Mm. throughout the entire movie. Okay, I have a really awful argument to make about their attitude towards killing Indians. From their point of view, it's going to sound so bad, from their point of view, wouldn't it be more effective and productive to subjugate them and make them do all the work? I don't know. That sounds like a Spanish thing to do. Because Columbus was funded by the Spaniards, right? Yeah. And that was Columbus's thing. He'd sail in, subjugate the natives, and then exploit the land. See, England, they're skipping that whole subjugation step and just going straight to exploiting the land. Well, maybe that's one reason, again, this sounds really bad, maybe that's one reason why they ended up eating each other. (laughs) Maybe if they had forced the natives to hunt for them and to grow food for them, they would have lasted through the hard winter. Well, that's actually what caused some of the heartache between the Native Americans and the British. The Native Americans realized that the colonists were in a bad way, so they were providing food for them. But the British kept saying, we need more, we need more, we need more. And that's kind of when they... So subjugating didn't really work. And then they started eating each other. Well, it went the other way, too. The the Powhatans... Um, wanted the English to be subjugated under them. And that was part of the conflict between the Powhatans and the Jamestown settlers. Yeah, and that's definitely a recipe for war. If both sides want to be the master and have the strength to fight and have the organization and all the things they need to start a war, then they start a war. Huh. Speaking of the Powhatans... Powhatans. 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 Chicka what? There's no hard, there's no hard eight Powhatans. Powhatans. Yeah. Speaking of them, that's the next set piece that we go to because we see this tribe and I don't know why I put myself in this situation where I have to pronounce hard words, but they are the Powhatan tribe in Senacomaca, North America. It's Virginia. Basically, that one. That is so typical of the white man. You just take over a place, yep. discard the names that have already been there, and put your own in place. Well, I kept Chickahominy. Chickawa? 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 <laughs> we have one listener who's going to get that. Leave it in, though. <laughs> we don't necessarily see Pocahontas first thing because we need to see the tribe first. And of course, all of the warriors are returning from, I guess, a fight, a conflict. Did everybody get that idea that they had just gotten back from beating down another tribe? Yeah. So it's as the warriors are returning, we first see Pocahontas's father, Chief Powhatan? Powhatan. Powhatan? I can't, I, okay. You just watched the movie where they say the name. I thought it was Powhatan. 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 Forget the H. Powhatan. Forget the H. Powhatan. Yes. A little more A at the end. A little more tan. Tan. Powhatan. Powhatan. Tan. Like tan the color. Powhatan. Wow. Okay. Now, now forget that. Because his name was Wahan Seneca. Yeah, Powhatan was like a tongue. Powhatan was the tribe. Okay. So they called him Chief Powhatan. That that was an English name they gave him. Yeah, it's like saying the Queen of England. His real name was Wahan Seneca. 
that's not easier. I can understand why they renamed it now. <laughs> that is kind of funny, because it's like, they might as well have just called him Captain America. <laughs> that would have worked. Anyway, he's back from this battle, and he's home, and he's happy to see everyone, and he's like, where is my daughter? And that's when we get to see Pocahontas for the first time, and she's standing up at the top of this giant waterfall that... Just <laughs> there's no geography in the Virginia Jamestown area of the country that reflects this. And I have to wonder, did the people who made this movie, and I haven't gone deep into it. I haven't researched the production of this movie because that's not how we do hiatus material. But how did they decide what geography to use? Did they mistake Jamestown for like... New England or something like that? Because you see dynamic stuff like that up in New England and New York and other places. Parts of Virginia, too. Shenandoah, Western Virginia. The Blue Ridge Mountain yeah. area. But definitely not here by the river. I know somebody I could call and ask. Yeah? Background an- animator. He's uh, uh, <coughs> Sean Sullivan. He's my mother's cousin. I think that would make him my second cousin once removed. I think something like that. Anyway, he's background animator. Mm-hmm. Do you want to text him? Do you want me to? Do you think he'll answer this? He might. This do you time have of his day. Number? <laughs> I do. I think maybe. <laughs> I might. <laughs> go go grab we your could, phone. We could, we could ask. Shoot him a message. The worst thing that happens is that he doesn't answer, and we finish recording, and that's right. it. <laughs> Brian, who? <laughs> Hey everyone, it's Rick in the editing booth. Brian sent a message to his friend Sean, and Sean did eventually get back to us. Brian asked him why Disney chose not to use the area's actual landscape as inspiration for the background, and Sean replied basically saying that it's because the landscape is boring. It's just not interesting enough for the story that they wanted to tell. One thing that did inspire them about the area is the tall lodgepole pines. They liked how they created strong vertical lines and And that was one of the big anchor points of the backgrounds. The folks that were making the movie did not feel overly burdened, according to Sean, with any sense of historical accuracy. They were more concerned with creating this story of Native Americans versus Europeans. So, back to the podcast. Are there any rivers? This feels like a dumb question, but, you know, I'm from New Hampshire. I don't know Virginia. Are there any rivers that go far enough inland that are big enough that could reach a place where a waterfall like this might be possible? Like, even stretching imagination a bit? The James River goes through Richmond. And there's some rapids, but not... But they're not deep at all, although a friend of mine has a crazy story about swimming in the shallow rapids of the James River and getting in over her head. Um, (laughs) But I don't know how far beyond Richmond the James River goes. I don't think it's very far. Certainly not over into the Shenandoah area, Mm. which would be the only place that I can think of in Virginia. Where cliffs like that? Where you would find cliffs like that. In fact, we were there and there was no bodies of water over there. So it's just not possible? Don't think so. Not within running distance of Jamestown? Definitely not in Virginia. Well, if you run like Pocahontas, a lot of things are within running distance. She kept up with those deer. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) But so did he. Wearing armor. Yeah. Which is saying something, because she, like, lives out in nature and lives a very active lifestyle. He's a sailor and lives on a boat. Probably has a lot of upper body strength. Probably. But, you know, he's not a runner. It's John Smith. 
right. <laughs> With a name as generic as that, he needs to have some standout quality. <laughs> well, that hair. Those eyes. <laughs> and the eyes. You don't like blonde men. No, I don't. That was me mocking him. <laughs> okay. And he has these, the voice anyway. Yeah. And the blue eyes. Hmm. Like, he's got those blue Mel Gibson eyes. <laughs> Do you think they are Mel Gibson eyes? Do you think they are blue because they are Mel Gibson's eyes? No, I mean... I wondered that. It makes sense. I mean... Like, you hear the voice, you want to see the eyes that go with him? Maybe, or it could be to highlight how different he was from Pocahontas when she saw him for the first time. Yeah. And he saw her and, like, what they <clears throat> must have thought of each other. Yeah, there were a lot of shots of her eye area than his eye area. They're making eyes at each other, but it, <laughs> yeah, the contrast. But the was contrast there. was vivid. Getting back to Pocahontas, though, when we see her standing up on the top of this waterfall, down below in the basin is her friend in a canoe, and we heard her friend's name so many times, and it was like Nico something Nakoma Nikki. Well, that's the um the raccoon. No, the raccoon was Nico. 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 Something. I don't think it matters. <laughs> <laughs> no, you know what? It does matter because Nico was one of the two best characters in this entire movie. Mm. Yep. Nakoma, who I think is the other great character in this movie. Yeah, she's pretty good. Is Pocahontas' best friend in the whole world. And she's down in this waterfall basin shouting up to Pocahontas being like, Hey, you gotta get back to the village because all the warriors are back. And Pocahontas is like, okay, yeah, sure. So she walks away from the cliff turns around, sprints back to the cliff, and then jumps off, and her best friend is like, oh no, here she goes again. <laughs> and she falls for like hundred, like she falls for a long time. Yeah. Hundreds of feet. And goes way under the water. Oh yeah. In a perfect dive. Yes. Yeah. Because it's she, Disney. She hits that water and goes down into it, and I'm like, oh, well, movie's over. <laughs> <laughs> that was short. Because the James River is three feet deep. Exactly. <laughs> you watch the dive, though, and she only actually goes down about three feet, and then she comes back up. Oh. Yeah, she does you that can see underwater, time. too. When she, yep, she does it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Little, yeah. I should describe what we're doing with our hands. <laughs> she goes into the water and then cuts a shallow arc to... Yeah, swim over to the side. Back up. We're sitting here making motions like with our hands. Three feet. And no one can yep. hear that. <laughs> <laughs> just, just do like a little. Mm-hmm. <laughs> the way Pocahontas does it, she goes under and she arcs away, but she also stays under. Mm-hmm. So that way, Nakoma's like, "Hey, where you at?" Pocahontas pulls like a Jaws maneuver, <laughs> where she's swimming around and then knocks Nakoma out of the canoe, and then they go under the canoe where they pop up and they have this little. I'm gonna call it a Pirates of the Caribbean moment, even though Pirates of the Caribbean isn't gonna get made for like another. Right. Ten years or so. I think Pirates of the Caribbean had a little Pocahontas moment. (laughs) Although you could also say that Pocahontas had a Indiana Jones and the Last Crusade moment because they did that same maneuver with, I think it's the Second Knight's Tomb in Venice. They rolled Ah. it out and created an air pocket. Yes. So the canoe gets flipped, there's an air pocket, and then Nakoma and Pocahontas are hanging out underneath the canoe. Well, that's where you would hang out. (laughs) 
Yeah, I think it's a typical girlfriend move. Yeah. To have a and in fact, conversation. That's, that's how you flip a canoe back over. Fill it with get there. Underneath yeah, you it. get underneath it and, and push it from there. Flip it. I really like this because it emphasized how young Pocahontas is. Because you're right, it was a very girlfriend move. They're just two young girls. And in the movie, they're portrayed as being like eh, 16, 17. But in real history, Pocahontas was like 10 years old when she met John Smith. So I feel like this scene kind of harkens back to the little girl-ness about Mm. what Pocahontas is supposed to be like. I think it's definitely supposed to highlight her adventurous, risk-taking spirit. And I'm definitely more comfortable with the idea of imagining her as like 17, 18 as opposed to like 10, 11. Mm. Yeah, you kind of have to make that transition for this movie. Yeah. It gets really uncomfortable otherwise. Yes. (laughs) Yes, it does. So Nakoma convinces Pocahontas to go back to the village. There's some shenanigans with Miko and... So Miko is the raccoon and... Flit. 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 Is this... Hummingbird. Is the hummingbird. Voiced by Frank Welker. The voice of Miko was John Kasser. I have a question about Pocahontas and Flit. Okay. So... During the canoe scene, when Flit ends up stuck in the side of the canoe that then gets turned back over, and he's stuck on the side of the canoe underwater, Pocahontas, in preparation to leave, just reaches blindly down there and plucks him out, even though she was nowhere near paying attention to how he got there. So how the heck did she know that he was down there? Like, are they psychically linked somehow? Is that what you're thinking? Maybe. Movie magic. Yeah, I think it's the Disney girl with sidekick thing. Like, you know, Moana and her chicken and Rapunzel and her lizard. and There was no one there in yeah. the peril. And well, and, yeah. and she's in tune with Mother Nature or spirits or whatever. Yeah, we see that. Yeah, she, point she, she just knows yeah. <laughs> that an animal is in danger mm-hmm. and that she has the ability to rescue it. She senses it like mm-hmm. force. Mm-hmm. It flows through all living things. That's going to come That's up right. later. <laughs> later There's a lot of like force type imagery stuff. But first, Pocahontas needs to go back to the village and have a little tete-a-tete with her father, who's all like, Yay! War is great! We just had an awesome time. And by the way, Coco, um, totally rad dude, killed a ton of people. You should marry him. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, you say this sarcastically, but this is a totally expected move. Oh yeah, it was totally sincere when he said it. (laughs) Yeah, and... (laughs) Yeah, and Julia thinks he's hot. (laughs) I mean... I'm not going to deny that. Okay, he's hot till he opens his mouth, and then and he's got this robot wimpy voice. Yeah, he sounds awful. Yeah. But she's the daughter of the chief, mm-hmm. and this young, eligible man has proven himself in battle and proven his worth, and so, yeah. It makes sense. The father Watch. gets Watch. to, yeah, father gets to arrange the marriage to an appropriate man, yeah. and he has proven himself to be an appropriate man. Kokom's got the double yeah. bear claw handprint chest paint now. Yeah. Like, he didn't have that before, but now that he's got it. That like, looked more yours? like a raccoon print to me. Yeah. <laughs> it, it, it had too few claws for uh-huh. To be a bear, they were very small claws too. Yeah, <laughs> I mean, he had some pretty large pecs. They should have been larger paintings, but yeah. you know, I don't know. I didn't notice his pecs. <laughs> How could you not? They were like his defining characteristic. They should have done the handprint on his face. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Named him Wilson. <laughs> <laughs> but historically, they were actually married. 
Pocahontas yeah. and Kokum were married before she was married to John Rolfe. And some people say that they had a child. Yeah. Coco mm-hmm. and Pocahontas. Mm-hmm. Okay. But no one really knows. Uh, I feel like a lot of that like, back then is kind of sketchy. It's sketchy because the only people keeping record were the Englishmen and their spelling was atrocious and inconsistent and their record keeping was inconsistent and then they all ate each other and <laughs> <laughs> they were biased. Um, it looks like it's pretty well documented that she was married to Coco and then there are some conflicting reports about her mm-hmm. having a son. Yeah. I think my favorite part of Powhatan trying to convince Pocahontas to really look at Cocoam as a viable option is when, I, th- I don't know, I remember if it was him or her that pulled back the flap on the wigwam and Cocoam's just standing there surrounded by adoring kids and he's just like, what do I, what are all these kids doing here? What do I do here? Get them away from me. And I'm like, I can respect that. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I'm okay with that visual. <laughs> After this scene with Pocahontas and her father, she goes off in her canoe and we get probably the first, it's not the absolute first musical number. If you're looking at the track listing on the soundtrack, it's technically number six, but we get just around the river bend. It's her big I want song. And really, as far as I want songs are concerned, just around the river bend, it's not like part of your world where she wants to go out and see new things. It's... Pretty much just she wants to have autonomy, which is not too bad. As we were watching this, I drew a lot of comparisons with Moana. Mm-hmm. I did too, yeah. Darned to the Chieftain, that's really clear. Who accepts that she has responsibilities and is willing to accept those responsibilities, but there's something else in her soul that is pulling her in another direction. Mm-hmm. Both water-related, the metaphors and whatnot. It's funny, she wears a dress and has an animal sidekick. She's not a princess. But if, you, but if you wear a dress and you have an animal sidekick, you're a princess. And if you start singing, I'm going to Disney princess. throw you overboard. I can't remember the rest of the line. Turn it. Okay. <laughs> okay, so does everyone feel like where Moana was like, I want adventure, but I also accept my responsibility. Do we think that something like Just Around the River Bend is her wanting adventure and wanting to abandon her responsibilities? Is that what yes. I almost think she just wants to be able to choose for herself. You mentioned autonomy. When you're the daughter of a chieftain, you're expected to do things a certain way. And, I mean, she wouldn't be human if she didn't feel at some point like she just wanted to be able to make her own choice. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think something really big and important just happened to her. She was just told who she's going to marry, and she didn't get the choice. It's hard to compare her to us because it's so embedded in our modern-day culture that you get to choose who you're going to marry. And in her culture, in her position in her culture, that just wasn't the case. She married who she was told to marry. So it probably wasn't really a big surprise, but we as modern people are supposed to connect with her, so that's how we feel about it. Looking at the lyrics, it sounds a lot to me like the Road Not Taken poem. Like, I don't see that necessarily she wants to abandon this marrying Coco and doing what's right for her family and her people, but by doing that, she gives up the chance of knowing what's down this other path, what's around the the river bend. She chooses one thing. She doesn't get to choose the other things. Mm -hmm. Well, it it seems to me like by choosing to marry Coco Wong, to me, is like her path is laid out 
for her and she knows what to expect. Mm. Whereas if she doesn't, she doesn't know what to expect. You know, what's around the river bend, she doesn't know. She doesn't want to know. She wants the mystery and the, the surprise of what's going to happen next as I make my next few choices. That's true. They, and that was clearly, there was a straight fork in the river and one fork of the river had rapids and bends. And yeah. I like that while she's singing, she acknowledges that if she were to marry Kokowam, he is a handsome, sturdy husband who is able to build handsome, sturdy walls. And it's a known quantity. But I think the idea of that unknown quantity, it just keeps pecking at the back of her mind. Just something could be coming around the river bend. And of course, half of this song is all just foreshadowing for the fact that something big is coming along, right. which, you know, white people just coming to muck everything up. At the end of this song, Pocahontas floats her canoe up to a new character, Grandmother Willow, who, like, she's a tree spirit, you think? What I think is that she's her actual grandmother, and she died, and then was transformed into her spirit animal, which is a willow tree. To be clear, not a stingray. Not a stingray. No, no, no. (laughs) A willow tree. Okay. (laughs) How often are we going to compare this to Moana? Moana is the same story without the love story, which is exactly my biggest problem with Pocahontas. There's so much more to... Pocahontas as a woman and these people and the struggle they went through than a freaking love story. Really? And that's what I like about Moana. Come on, yeah. she's oh. totally crushing on Maui. <laughs> <laughs> uh, funny you say that, because in lore, I think she might be his daughter. Ew. In lore? Yeah, in the mythology. Moana is the ocean in mythology. Right, which is... Which Maui... Is helped, yeah, create and give to him. No, he created the islands. He pulled the islands out of the ocean. Okay, we gotta not talk about that. <laughs> <laughs> so that's Pacific Island lore. We're focusing on Native American East Coast lore. Let's <laughs> not get into an East Coast West Coast type thing. <laughs> So I see Grandmother Willow sort of like an ant that doesn't walk around because (laughs) she's more than just a face in the bark. Like over the course of this movie, she uses her drooping vine slash branches because she's a willow, obviously. Grandmother Willow, she's a willow tree. But she uses those vines and branches to like whip people and grab people and drag them around and the roots move around and it's... Pull the puppy out of the water. Yeah, she's very capable for Mm. a tree. But not only is she physically capable, I guess she's also, like, super wise. And so Pocahontas has been having these weird dreams about a spinning arrow, and she's not quite sure what to make of them. And so Grandmother Willow's like, well, what does your heart tell you? And I'm like, that's what she's asking you. She's asking you what the dream is. (laughs) Grandmother Willow's like, ah, what do you think? (laughs) Pocahontas is treating Grandmother Willow more like an oracle. She wants specific answers. Grandmother Willow is acting more like a psychiatrist, (laughs) guiding the thought processes of Pocahontas. I would be very frustrated if I was Pocahontas. (laughs) Like, just tell me the answer. I recognize that you are a supernatural being Mm -hmm. because you're a tree, and I just want you to give me the answer, please. And of course, Grandmother Willow, she has this song, Listen With Your Heart. And I think this might be the first instance in the movie where we start seeing the magical Technicolor leaves show up. 
Mm-hmm. They're like brightly colored and they're accompanied by sparkles and they swirl around everywhere. And they're magic leaves. They're magic leaves. There is a <laughs> lot that happens in this movie because of those leaves specifically. Yes. Yep. <laughs> Jim, can I get you a bong? <laughs> I mean, it's it's not a bad suggestion, Jim. I think you're pretty spot on there. I, yeah, I think you are pretty spot <laughs> I think on. There's something in the water or there's something in the local vegetation that is making all of this quote-unquote magic happen. <laughs> Trees are talking. Animals are being way more anthropomorphic than they usually are. I mean, usually are for a Disney movie. <laughs> well, I was saying <laughs> more usual than they are in real life. You know, I guess they're not anthropomorphic in real life, but you know what I meant. Yes, I do. <laughs> I, I, uh, <laughs> I don't want to dig myself into that hole. No. Speaking of digging... <laughs> How's that for a transition? I like it. The next scene we get is the ship arriving in the Jamestown area, and we got to meet Governor Radcliffe back in London, but he wasn't really worth mentioning up to this point because he gets off the boat and he plants his flag and he's like, you know what? Let's forego base building and setting up camp and finding food. We are going to dig up the entirety of Virginia because I am all about gold. And we get the next song. This one is specifically from Governor Radcliffe called Mine, 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 sung by David Ogden Steers. And, of course, Mel Gibson has a couple of singing parts because he's off exploring. And then, of course, general chorus in amongst the camp. But it is the bad guy greed song. This is... Really a lot of stereotypical greed showing up. Mm -hmm. Yeah, when you think of how colonists, especially from the old world coming to the new world, he shows up and he's like, the Spanish found gold, even though they're not anywhere close to where the Spanish Mm. showed up. He's like, well, if the Spanish can find gold, surely I can find gold, because why not? Does he have no concept of... Hundreds of miles away. I mean, you don't find the same resources in Spain than you do in the Netherlands, do you? No. They're completely different areas. If you found gold in Spain, why on earth do you assume you'd find gold in the Netherlands? You don't. This is just a stupid assumption. Mm-hmm. So, thoughts on his song? One <laughs> <laughs> use. Yeah. I actually like this song. Mm-hmm. I definitely recognize that it's evil and selfish and greedy and all those negative things. But it's also like strong and rhythmic. And I enjoy the wordplay between mine and mine, like mining for gold. And that gold is now mine. I really like that wordplay that he does. Mm-hmm. When Radcliffe speaks, he does so with this really bizarre cadence that makes you wonder if you're understanding what he's saying correctly. It almost changes the structure of sentences. <laughs> it's really bizarre. And that kind of carries over a little bit in the song, and I really enjoy that. So I like it. I really liked the uh, the 49er that shows up in the middle. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> your, your typical... <laughs> Old man prospector with the white beard and the pitchfork <laughs> and everything right in the middle. And he actually had the water <laughs> flowing down and he was panning in the water as it flumed by. Yeah, <laughs> I must have been looking in my phone because I don't remember. Mm-hmm. He showed up a couple of times. As, as probably making cookies. <laughs> Back to the inaccuracies of history. 
Everything that I can find just tonight made no mention of that colony going there for gold. And John Radcliffe was not the governor. Hmm. They had a president and a board. And those names were selected in England, sealed in a box. And they weren't read out loud until they landed in the New World. I read that they had, I think it was three missions. What did they say? I think it was their instructions were to build a secure settlement, find gold, and to seek a water route to the Pacific. (laughs) Well, they were barking up the wrong river. Yeah. (laughs) This is definitely an inaccurate representation of them because the English are colonists. It's still what they're famous for, colonizing the world. Mm -hmm. They're really good at it, which is why they have done it so many times. And there were periods of history where the sun never set on the British Empire. They never would have been so foolish as to come into this area without a plan and knowing what the structure of the society is going to be and have priorities and plans on how to get through the winter. Yeah, they never would have done it this way. We talked earlier today, though. or Was that... I would think it was yesterday. You and I, you and I in today. the car. How? Yeah, the, the British were famous for colonizing, but we've seen on several occasions, like on stuff you missed in history class, where they weren't well prepared at all. They took all the wrong things and took, you know, silverware and crystal and china with them instead of food and water. And yeah, just so they. I don't know. On the one hand, they were great at it because yeah. you're right. They were all over the place. But on the other hand, they did some crazy stuff. And that's the impression I got when we visited Jamestown and went through the tour. And that, that they're very underprepared for living life in this unknown terrain. Yeah. Unknown weather, unknown, you know, native population. Yeah. Now, they're really early. They were 1607, 1608 when they landed. Mm-hmm. That's pretty darn early in the English coming to America because like the pilgrims weren't till 1620 although there were other English up here before them so Jamestown was by up here do you mean New England oh yeah (laughs) (laughs) up where some of us live (laughs) but Jamestown was in fact the first permanent settlement what do they consider a permanent settlement I think it was a failed settlement (laughs) well they did redo Mm. it though a new governor came back after the starving time and things were a mess but they Revived it. Well, I think it was the first that was meant to be a permanent settlement. That's what I would think. So Ratcliffe, as this fictitious governor of Jamestown, as he dubs it, he is quite the... Pompous ass? Well, I was going to say he's one of the the more flamboyant villains in Disney movies. Sometimes they put on this sort of fluttering air about them just to make them seem more off-putting. I mean, during Mine, 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 he does have that one line, how he'll return to court covered in gold and they'll see how he glitters. And then, of course, he fires right into... The women of court will be all a Twitter because, you know, no homo or whatever like that. (laughs) Like, he can be mincing, but he can't be that mincing because it's 1995 and we were different back then. Mm. But he has this, what would you call Wiggins? His butler? His valet? His valet. Cabin boy? Yeah. (laughs) 
<laughs> the interesting thing about Wiggins is that he's also voiced by David Ogden Steers. So any scene where you only have Ratcliffe and Wiggins, it's just David Ogden Steers talking to himself. Right. <laughs> I look at Ratcliffe and he's definitely a man with ambition and a very clear goal. And I mean, you've got to give him credit for knowing what he wants and going after what he wants. Definitely not the most effective Disney villain, though. Like, he's no Scar. Like, you think of Scar from The Lion King. Scar, for at least a time, gets what he wants. Yeah, yeah. he's a bit cunning. Um, thinks about it, plans it. Ratcliffe, on the other hand, he sort of gets things going, but he trips up so soon and is just defeated very quickly. It's hard to tell in movies about the passage of time, but it looks like they were only there for a couple of days. Yeah. They built a pretty big fort for just a couple of days. Yeah, yeah. right in there, there might have been some more time passage. Time. Yeah, mm-hmm. which, honestly, I hope so, because Pocahontas and John Smith falling in love <laughs> and wanting to spend the rest of their lives together. Like, please. Well, Give it what, more than a couple of days. Well, whether she's 10 or 12, it, uh, to me, that's still just as creepy. <laughs> I mean, John Smith went back to England, I think, when she was 12. Like I said, we're focusing on her being 17 or 18 to make it less creepy. <laughs> <laughs> I appreciate your I'm knowledge stuck. of history, but ew. <laughs> exactly. Some things about history we don't want to know. Just one more thing about that. I just read that John Smith didn't actually tell that tale of her saving him until after she went to England with John Rolfe, which was several years later. Of jealousy, maybe. Mm -hmm. He was trying to build himself up. Yeah. While all of the Englishmen and Ratcliffe are singing Mine, 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 John Smith is out exploring. He's climbing, he's swinging on vines, he's riding giant logs down rivers or whatever, anything like that. And... What's cool is that Mel Gibson did his own singing for this movie. Mm. It's not a whole song in and of himself. I think he had a whole song, but it was cut. We talked about it, I think, back when we were talking about Mad Max 79. But it is kind of cool that he lent his voice. But it's him out exploring where he finally runs into... I say finally. We're still early in the movie. But this is the point where he runs into Pocahontas. And she's trailing him. He's just wandering about. There was this fun little scene where he almost found her, but Flit got in the way. The scene where John Smith first meets Pocahontas is rather iconic because she's tracking him. He notices her following him. He hides behind a waterfall. And then he leaps out from behind the waterfall mm. onto a rock, points his gun at her. And then she turns around and they have this little meat cute at the end of a gun. Oh, I know what a meat cute is. <laughs> just watched The Holiday the other day. Yeah. <laughs> Good for you. I used to hate this moment because if he considers the natives to be savages and he decides not to kill Pocahontas, I used to see it as he decides not to kill her because she's pretty. And that drives me bananas. I don't see any other way to interpret that. Why else? But I would like to think, and I guess I'm wrong, I don't know. I would like to think that he didn't kill her because, one, she wasn't armed. She also wasn't an obvious warrior. It's not like he was being tracked by somebody who was out to kill him. He was being tracked by a woman. Sounds awful. (laughs) (laughs) But I'd rather him be sexist in that way than sexist in the other way. Mm, How about he just doesn't kill her because... 
Guys She's like, not a threat. Well, guys like him don't kill 10-year-old girls. <laughs> oh, stop <laughs> telling Stop calling her a 10-year-old. <laughs> New rule. No more mentioning that she was actually 10 years old. It's your it's rule. I may not follow out. it. <laughs> John Smith, his hair is very well kept. And I wonder if he jumped through that waterfall and saw her hair blowing in the mist and he was like, oh... That is someone who really knows how to take care of their hair. (laughs) (laughs) Gotta find out how she does it. (laughs) Can't kill her yet. Her Her hair care secret. (laughs) Must find out the secret of the shampoo. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, what was it in Stranger Things where... Yes, the the hair Steve has a whole (laughs) regiment for uh, hair care. And his hair is way better than John Smith's. Mm -hmm. Because it's not blonde. (laughs) And and because it's not cartoon. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) After they have their meet-cute, there's this whole sequence of John Smith following Pocahontas and not really letting her leave that is just really strange to watch and just more than a little off-putting. I agree, and I noticed he actually says, I'm not letting you leave. And I just think that would never have flown if that movie were made today. Yeah. (laughs) Like, (laughs) the moms would have been so mad. (laughs) Yeah. And he could have easily said, like, please don't leave. Right, right. Instead of being controlling and trying Mm. to take away her autonomy. Which is exactly what she's fighting for. Right. That's that's her whole point, is her autonomy. And then here comes this other guy who's still trying to take it away from her. Mm. Yeah. What bugged me is that he seems surprised that she didn't understand him. Yeah, he chases her all the way back to the If he's such a world traveler, then he should know that not everybody speaks English. So really, all of these things that he's saying, she doesn't understand it, and so she just thinks he's gibberishing at her. And so, that, of course, she's going to go back to her canoe. But then he stops her from going too much further. And then the magic leaves. <laughs> Whoosh. Onto the scene. And suddenly everyone can speak English. <laughs> yeah. And I think this is part of what's wrong with the whole story and the way that they could have told, like, such a, a better story of Pocahontas. But I just thought, like, why bother with the magic leaves that magically interpret language? Like... Tell us about Pocahontas and why she was so cool and why this relationship between her and the settlers was so special and how they came to understand each other instead of this magical thing that just solves all your problems. Mm -hmm. And then it kind of led me to wonder, like, is there anything good about the actual story of Pocahontas (laughs) that I want my children to, like, my four-year-old daughter, do I want her to, like, know what actually happened to Pocahontas? No, and I also don't really want her to know what happened to 17-year-old Disney Pocahontas, because it wasn't that great either. (laughs) (laughs) I have never seen, because they did make a direct-to-video sequel to this movie. I've seen parts of it. I've never seen it. I just assume it's terrible, because most of the direct-to-video stuff that Disney has made from their major properties is kind of hot garbage. It was more of the raccoon and... Pocahontas in a poofy dress in England, and mm. that's how how do they get. how do they tie that in with history? I, I mean, think because she goes back to England with John Rolfe, but in the sequel, does she go back with John Smith, or I think she goes back with John Rolfe in the sequel. I don't like honestly. I'll I've never seen it. Or raccoon antics. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> only this time in England. <laughs> what is so convenient for the story is that. After the magic leaves come in and Pocahontas is like, my name is Pocahontas. And John Smith is like, what? You can speak my language? And it's like, magic. 
<laughs> it's after that she's fully able to understand what he's saying that he starts to spout off his like super white racist rhetoric. Like, yeah, I like to go to savage peoples and teach them how mm. to be white and build houses and quote unquote use the land effectively. And it's like, why wouldn't she get offended at that? I felt like as far as this, this racist theme went, I almost felt like they were trying to teach us a lesson, but didn't finish it. Mm -hmm. Like you, I yeah. get this feeling like they're talking about that. We're calling them savages and we don't respect the way that they live. And we want to change all this stuff. And we're talking about killing them and being horrible to them. And I feel like it was headed in the direction of, and then they changed their minds and everything was happily ever after because people respected each other, but they didn't get that far. Like they were trying to teach a lesson about racism mm. and different cultures and just didn't finish it. I think yeah. she was a touch offended because isn't, don't we launch into the song now about you'll yep. never see how big the sycamore grows if you cut it down? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yep. Because his rhetoric launches her into basically saying, you've been a lot of places, but you don't really understand the places you've been because there's painting with the colors of the wind and talking to animals and watching trees grow. And amateur falconry. I mean, lying on rocks. All of this stuff. And smoking a lot of magic leaves. There are so oh. many magic leaves. <laughs> <laughs> and leaping majestically. Oh, my God. There is one shot that I love it. When people watch this movie, they will screen cap this one thing. It's where they leap off of a hill, and it's before they go into the sunflower field. But... Pocahontas is doing that whole arms back, feet pointed jump. And John Smith is right there with her doing that same exact pose. He is like 100% committed to this yeah. flower child He's been speak with earth thing. I have seen the light. Yeah. He's smoking the same stuff. Oh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> like they find that bear and he's all ready to shoot that bear and then they just go chill with the bear and its cubs. It's like there is no way that a bear would let you get anywhere near her cubs. I don't care how earthy you are. The or how bears many... are smoking the same leaves. There you go. Super relaxed and easy going. Those leaves are everywhere. Problem with that is now they're snacky. They're <laughs> <laughs> so good. Well, we have cookies. <laughs> There's one thing about this song that bothers me is when they have the eagles on their arms and they let them fly. They're not wearing any sort of nope. protective glove or arm covering and those eagles have like giant talons that would absolutely be tearing up that arm flesh and it's like, no. <laughs> no cartoon. No. The eagles are historically accurate. We see eagles down in Jamestown. <laughs> <laughs> One point for Disney. <laughs> One historical accuracy point. <laughs> and it's just a bird. Right. <laughs> what I like about this song is you can look up how high do sycamores grow. <laughs> <laughs> What's the answer? And the answer is 75 to 100 feet tall. Wow, that's not that tall. That's not that tall. I know. <laughs> Are they hardwood or softwood? Because <laughs> it matters. Hold on. <laughs> Are you okay, Christina? Yeah. <laughs> what is this? Um, okay, I asked that because I don't know. I know that before the white men came to Cape Cod, for instance, Cape Cod was covered with hardwood. It was all hardwood, and then they cut 
everything down to build houses and ships, and now it's all that scrub pine. So what? So What's that have to do with sycamores? <laughs> well, I was just curious. <laughs> sycamores were hard or something? All right. Well, I found how high <laughs> yeah. they grew, so now we can cut them down, okay. hard or soft. We are done with sycamores. <laughs> exactly. My guess is they're hard. Do we yeah. have sycamores here? Not anymore. <laughs> oh, that's what <laughs> they, they, have those, they have those like mitteny looking leaves. Mm. Oh, I don't the know. live long and prosper uh-huh. leaves. What? I don't know that we have sycamores here for real. I also appreciate the line, ask the grinning bobcat why he grins. We have bobcats up in our neck of the woods in New Hampshire that come by and they eat household pets. That why they, that's why <laughs> that's they're grinning, because yeah. they just ate your pet. That's why they're so like happy. Like raccoons and pugs? Yeah. <laughs> Besties. <laughs> okay, they were the best part of the movie. Percy and Miko and yeah. Flit, too. They're... Physical comedy was amazing. Without yeah, saying was. a word, mm-hmm. they were absolutely the funniest part of this movie. I, I thought would, they were so-so. Yeah, <laughs> the only funny part of this movie, I would say. So while Pocahontas and John Smith are off falling prancing, falling in love. Yeah. Okay, are they an item by the end of this song? Like, are they in love by the end of the song? Yes, I think so. I think I they both they are making... They were in love at the canoe. That's true. They were. <laughs> you had me at canoe. <laughs> so while they're off canoodling. <laughs> but. Thank you. <laughs> Chief Bowton has sent a bunch of warriors to look at the English because, you know, they might be trouble. <clears throat> well, do we remember what set off the little mini battle? Oh, yeah, because Thomas. Thomas. The tank engine. Every time someone says his name, I'm like, the tank engine. <laughs> so Thomas, the tank engine, trips over a log and his gun goes off. And so everybody starts shooting. Wait, did he like, did he see one of the warriors? Is that what it was? Yeah, somebody saw a warrior and everybody flipped out. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Just went completely berserk. And then Thomas... Just call him Baby Batman. Because <laughs> Baby Batman tripped and his gun went off. Yeah, and he shot right through Ratcliffe's legs, destroyed a water barrel. You know, this movie would have been over if he had just aimed a little bit higher and killed Rat- Ratcliffe. <laughs> oh, no. Conflict over. They would have hung Baby Batman. What a shame. And then Baby Batman wouldn't have been there to shoot Coco on. Man, yeah, then, a lot of problems would have been solved. Yeah. <laughs> Thomas had done his job. Pocahontas would have been forced to marry Cocoam and do her duty, and John Smith would have been heartbroken and left. Everything would have worked out fine. It is all Thomas's fault. All the bad things that happen in this movie are because of him. Mm-hmm. Well, the movie might have been more historically accurate <laughs> if he had done his... She would have married Cocoam and yes. had his baby. Maybe. Maybe. baby. That's right. <laughs> And and then later run off with John Rolfe. And have his baby. So this movie is so inaccurate because of Thomas. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. It's all his fault. It is all his fault. The only big thing to come out of this little skirmish battle is obviously first contact between humans and Vulcans because they discovered the warp drive. But no, first contact between the settlers and the Powhatan tribe. 
And that one dude, I guess, gets shot in the leg. It doesn't mm. look like it. Yeah, they never show blood. They never show it's any Disney. wounds or blood of any kind. <laughs> this at movie all. is frustratingly bloodless. <laughs> in a particularly bloody time in history, this movie is frustratingly blood, blood, yeah. bloodless. Yeah. So they drag this wounded warrior back to the Potton village, and they lay him out before the chief, and I guess the... The medicine man. Yep. He's like, I don't know what to do with this. And it's like, well, of course you don't, because it's a gunshot. You've never seen a gunshot before. I mean... Okay, except for... A gunshot leaving the ball, and it could have been a through and through. Wouldn't it look a little bit, at least a little tiny bit, like an arrow hole? I mean, a hole in the skin is a hole in the skin, right? You pour some yes and in no. there and you bind it up. Yeah. yeah, yes and no. I think essentially, yes. I mean, you need to get that lead out. Yeah. Like, if it's in there, yeah. yeah. But if it's a through and through, then the medicine man's going to be like, wow, that's a giant hole in the leg. Yeah. I don't think I've ever seen an arrow that's ever done something like that. I don't know. Arrows. And arrows it, go it could be point, too. Break this, well, would break the skin more gently, whereas the ball going through is more blunt and it's going to explosive. And legs a soft metal, too. Mm-hmm. If it hit bone or anything like that, it'd probably, probably spread. Mm-hmm. And shatter or something, I don't know. Yeah. Still pour some herbs in. Do we ever know what happened to him? Oh, he did. Well, yeah. I mean, that guy that got shot in the leg, of course. I mean, that's what people do back then. (laughs) (laughs) I don't know. John Smith made it all the way back to... Did he, though? England with... Whatever happened to him? Like he did. Like to fast forward to the end of the movie, we never see if he makes it. We well, see the ship sail away, and we see him like historically. Wave he does make it back. To his, yeah, historically, he gets blown up by a bunch of gunpowder and makes it back. Yeah, I guess. <laughs> I'm gonna look up if Pocahontas Two has John Smith as a character. So we'll see if yes, uh, John Smith is in Pocahontas Two. So in the movie, John Smith did make it back okay. to England. Okay. So, <clears throat> is it Mel Gibson? Oh, it's Donald Gibson. Oh. He does not look anything like Mel, though. I don't know if... They're related Maybe at all. Maybe they sound the same. Excuse me? Hmm? Okay, so this actor, Donald Gibson, here's the first little bit of his... Oh, it's his entire mini. Okay, Donald Gibson was born on February 13th, 1958 in Peekskill, New York, USA, as Donald Regis Gerard Gibson. Is he Mel's brother? He is an actor... Known for Maverick, Braveheart, and Reboot. He is married to S.J. Gibson. So... No. There's no way. He doesn't look a thing like Mel Gibson. Oh, I don't know. No. Oh, I see. Where where did that source come from? Well, it's IMDb. What is that that source? It's a little. IMDb? You think so? He's ugly. He's ugly brother. Yeah. Unless maybe, I don't know, maybe he was played a smaller role in those films. I wonder if maybe he like played his like stunt double or something. That's what I was wondering. Maybe was he the crazy Irishman in Braveheart? I don't think so. Stuart. Hmm. He played Stuart in Braveheart. In Braveheart, hmm. he was also in Conspiracy okay. Theory with Mel Gibson. Huh? It's like they do everything together. That's weird. Never does it much. So anyway. Yeah, we got way off topic there. After we have a little skirmish between the natives and the set colonists, Pocahontas brings John Smith to meet Grandmother Willow. Because that's what you do when you got a new boyfriend. You bring him to meet the family. Instead of meeting her actual family, he meets her magic forest family. Yeah, the well, spoken family. Yeah. yeah. You've got to take him to the Oracle to make sure that you're MFEO. 
right? Yes. <laughs> and he's handsome, so yes, they are MFEO. Yeah. Grandmother Willow, she gives the stamp of approval. Officially MFEO. And of course, this is the scene where we get to see Grandmother Willow using her tree movement abilities to push and pull, and she messes with a couple of the colonists and everything like that. You know, she strikes me as very lazy. I mean, she can move branches Mm. and roots. She can move her roots, but she doesn't go anywhere. That's because Ents never do anything unless it's absolutely worth doing. Don't you want your grandmother to always be in the same place so that when you need her, you can find her? Yeah, that's... I don't don't, What? I don't know. (laughs) I mean, ideally, (laughs) she would turn into a blue That's what happens when they die. They're put in the same place. You always know where to find them. They don't go anywhere. (laughs) (laughs) You know, in the real world... You know, we always know we can go to their burial site and find them when we need them. But in Pocahontas Moana land. <laughs> well, except Pocahontas's grandmother does go places. And when she needs her, the grandmother comes, comes to her. To her. No, yes. You're talking about yeah. Moana, not yeah. Pocahontas. Yeah. We well, crossed yeah. over so That's... much. <laughs> did I, did I mix no, the, the two? Same. Oh, I'm sorry. Now, the fact that Grandmother Willow moves her root to trip the guys, that tells me she can get up and walk around if exactly. she chooses to. That's why I say she's lazy. And yeah, so I agree. She is lazy. <laughs> After this encounter with the tree, John goes back to his camp, Pocahontas goes back to her camp, and John is confronted about this whole cavorting with the natives thing, and he gets the you need to shoot them on sight speech from Ratcliffe because he's a bad dude. And Pocahontas gets a talking to from Nakama who is like, you know, hey, let's not betray your people by cavorting with the colonists. And Pocahontas is like, you don't know him like I know him. He's a good guy. <laughs> oh, typical emo teenager. But daddy, I love him. <laughs> I think that's an actual quote from this movie. <laughs> no, that's from The Little it's Mermaid. The Little Mermaid. <laughs> <laughs> So both parties have been expressly told by their individual societies, cut it out, you two. And they don't cut it out because they both sneak out of their encampments and Ratcliffe sends baby Batman and Pocahontas' best friend is like, hey, Coco, um, your girlfriend's running away. And so John Smith and Pocahontas are hanging out by Grandma Willow and they start sucking face on each other. Okay, from Coco's point of view, he thinks they're engaged. So this is a serious affront Mm -hmm. to him. And he has absolutely every right to go after her and every right to fight John Smith. Oh, Coco, um, in this scene, when he is walking through the woods and he sees John Smith kissing Pocahontas or Pocahontas kissing John Smith, I, I don't, it doesn't really matter to me who was kissing who in this situation, but he flies and I, I, use every sense of that word he flies into a rage arms flailing war cry wailing as he charges over to john smith and it is something special you know i think his actions is what everybody wishes they could do when they lose their temper like just literally fly into a rage and attack somebody Mm -hmm. like that's like what's in our hearts and his arms are going we just want to scream and flail and hurl ourselves at somebody. When he's running and waving, it kind of reminds me of Snow White when she's running through the scary forest <laughs> and she's flailing because everything's <laughs> grabbing at her. 
That's what it reminds me of. <laughs> and of course, Thomas is there as well, being Thomas. Oh, Thomas. Attention. Yeah. Got out of the camp, went through a huge opening. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. That's yeah, right. a big the opening, opening that nobody's that, watching. That nobody's watching <laughs> that's big enough for a person to easily slip through. What's the point of the wall? Or several mm-hmm. people. Yeah. What I like about this situation is Thomas is showing up on the scene with John and Pocahontas, and John literally just taught Thomas how to shoot effectively. Mm-hmm. And now Thomas is standing there with Cocoaum holding a knife to John Smith's neck, and Thomas is, A, taking a really long time to get his weapon ready. Mm. It's like, come on, dude. I know those things are a pain to load and get ready, but, like... It should already be ready. (laughs) Yeah, when you've been ordered to shoot on sight, you're not being ordered to see, prepare to shoot, take a while, send a memo, receive clearance, you know, just... Be ready, dude. But he takes that gun, he uses the tactic that John Smith taught him, and he blows Kokomo away, we assume. Because, as I mentioned earlier, bloodless movie. Yep. No wound, no nothing. From the look of it, you would swear that Kokomo heard a loud noise, got really wide-eyed scared, and then collapsed. Yeah. 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 That's what it was. (laughs) Because, I mean, telling Thomas how to shoot doesn't really qualify really is teaching him how to shoot effectively. So it's like the horse in Animal House. You, you can't just be told how to shoot and now you all of a sudden know how to shoot. So my theory is that he missed, but it scared Kokoam so bad he had a heart attack and fell dead. So it's it's like an animal house when they brought the horse from the ROTC guy into the dean's office, and then the idea was to shoot the horse, but the guy holding the gun couldn't shoot the horse, and so he just fired the shot, and the loud noise gave the horse a heart attack, and then the horse keeled over and died in the dean's mm-hmm. office. Coco, um, just like the horse from Animal House. Died of a heart attack. <laughs> <laughs> that makes more no sense words. than what we saw. <laughs> yep. So that other poor warrior that got shot in the thigh... Died of a leg cramp. <laughs> you know what? Leg cramps can be really severe. It's like, yeah, they can hurt like the dickens. Yeah. Yep. And that's why the medicine man was like, I don't know what's going on, guys, because it doesn't look like anything to me. The guy's like, oh, my leg is cramping. <laughs> Should have stretched. Man, they need more potassium in their diet. Where are all those bananas that don't grow in Virginia? <laughs> yeah, that's right. <laughs> Yeah, Trader Joe's hasn't opened here yet. <laughs> there, there. So this could have all been avoided too, right? Pocahontas before this was talking to her dad about like, oh, but if one of them would talk to you, you would talk to him, right? Of course I would. Like this could have been avoided if, if she'd been like, great, because I know one. I've been talking to him. I've met him. I can bring him to you, and you can talk to each other. <laughs> Just right? make sure the magical leaves are yeah. there. <laughs> so, of course, everyone from Pocahontas' tribe shows up, and they pick up Cocoa's body. They grab John Smith, because John Smith is like, Thomas, you need to get out of here now, because you are in mondo trouble. Thomas is like, oh, no! And so he runs away, because he's baby, baby Christian Bell. And so John is taken before the chief, and the chief's like, well, clearly this stranger killed Coco. Um, open, shut case, CSI, Virginia, boom, boom. Oh, uh, why didn't Pocahontas say anything? She knows who killed Cocoam. She knows it wasn't John Smith, but she never said anything about another person being there. Mm. Jim, you're a father. <laughs> 
Can you give us any insight into Chief Fountain's behavior? He just blames whoever's convenient. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that makes sense. It's Pocahontas' behavior that doesn't make sense. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. He's made the decision that they are going to kill John Smith, and then they are going to go to war, and they've brought in a whole other neighboring village of warriors. This happened after the other dude got the leg cramp, like, really bad, and they blamed it on the colonists. Yeah, things accelerated very, very quickly. Yeah. Before we move past it, I really, really love this scene where John Smith is tied up in the tent and Pocahontas wants to see him. So Nakoma says, okay, come with me. She's going to fix it all up. And Nakoma walks up to the guards and says that Pocahontas wants to look into the eyes of the man who killed Cocoa. That tells me that in the eyes of other people in the tribe, Cocoa was her fiance. Yeah. We've spent very little time <laughs> with the yeah. people in the tribe. Like, Which I also find really interesting. I was going to say way back a while ago when we opened up the movie that we opened up with the tribe. Because those are the people, to Pocahontas, those are the people who are supposed to matter. Mm-hmm. She's a member of this tribe. She's a prominent member of this tribe. She's supposed to protect them. They're the ones that are supposed to matter to her. Mm-hmm. And she does all these things... That say otherwise. And she ends up, in the end of the movie, everything kind of works out fine. But she puts the safety of the tribe at risk over and over and over again. Yes. Which is very selfish. She's a teenager. That's true. (laughs) She is a teenager. It's at this point in the movie that we get the last major musical number. And it is a song that is sung by the colonists. Pretty much at the same time it's being sung by the native inhabitants. A song called Savages. Which is all about how the other people are bad. And Savages is an interesting song because it's actually been changed from the original lyrics. As we watched it on Netflix, the song starts up, What can you expect from filthy little heathens? Here's what you get when races are diverse. That is not the original line. Back in 1995 when they released the movie and also on like the Disney compilation discs that you were able to get in the early 2000s. That third line of the song was, their whole disgusting race is like a curse. Which, whoa! Yeah. You can understand why they changed it. Yeah. (laughs) Wow. I mean, the rest of the song is not better. I mean... No, it's really not. It's literally just... One awful statement after the other. Why change it? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. I mean, it it shows what their thought was at the time. Yeah. Although, I mean, yeah, it's um, insulting. (laughs) Like, when you follow it up with their skin's a hellish red and they're only good when dead, does it really matter (laughs) if you called their race a curse at that point? Because you're just doubling and tripling down on the awfulness. Mm -hmm. Here's again where I think that, like, Disney just didn't follow through. Like, they're telling us, here's what everybody thinks about each other, and everybody has their opinion, and we can tell, being the person in the middle, watching the Native Americans and watching the settlers prepare and seeing how they talk about each other, we're kind of in the middle of that, and we can see that both sides feel that way about each other, and we know that they're wrong, and that they should respect each other and work together, but Disney just didn't finish that out, and it just comes across as violent and racist. Mm -hmm. 
where they really should have been like, yes, everybody hated each other, but then this happened and now they get along because we can respect each other's differences. They didn't finish it out with that we should respect each other's differences and it just comes across as horribly violent. It's like a very special episode after school special of like Punky Brewster or something where they split it into two parts. And so at the end of part one, everyone's just really angry at each other and they sort of resolve it, but not really. You were supposed to watch part two. Mm-hmm. It's and like, they just never did. It's like this movie should have had more to it. Part two never happened. Yeah. Like they yeah. tie it up really quickly. I mean, this movie was only an hour and a half. Right. Like it could have been just a tiny bit longer to make the moralizing a little bit more concrete. <laughs> right. Almost as long as this podcast. Oh, we've got way longer than that. (laughs) (laughs) One interesting thing I see them do with savages is they have the colonists saying all these awful things about the Native Americans. Then they turn around and have the Native Americans say all these awful things about the colonists. You know, the pale face is a demon. The only thing they feel is greed. I wonder if they bleed. You know, things like that. They're trying to set up this both sides are the same. Where it's like, yeah, there's no more equivalency there. No, the colonists are invaders. They are coming in there, making unjust claims, killing the natives. Like, there's no moral equivalency here. They are acting out of greed. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) I see nothing wrong with the original lyrics or, or anything like that i mean again they're they're showing what they thought at the time mm-hmm. and i have a problem with like disney or whoever else deciding that they're gonna cut that because they're afraid of offending somebody mm-hmm. if you're afraid of showing historical accuracies because you might offend somebody mm-hmm. you know, how are you gonna learn from history one thing that i like <laughs> Warner Brothers, when they had older cartoons that just have some really racially questionable stuff, Mm -hmm. when they released those videos on DVD, they had a thing at the beginning of those videos that said, hey, the country was different back then. We don't endorse the ideas shown in this video, but we don't want to erase them from history. This is how we were. We do better now. So take this as the artistry that it is. You know, we're sorry that it's so, you know, racist in ways. And I kind of feel that with Disney, they're so focused on their brand that they would rather put a new coat of paint over something rather than acknowledge it and just set it as an example of where we were and now we're over here, which is totally outside the realm of this movie. But, you know. I think goes into what... Christina commented on too on how they started off showing the racism and everything and never finished the lesson that they started teaching. Yeah. Mm. So everyone's really mad at each other. The two armies are marching towards each other and Pocahontas is sitting in front of Grandma Willow and she's like, oh no, everything's terrible and blah, blah, blah. And then Miko, who stole John Smith's compass way back early in the movie, brings it to Pocahontas and she's like, a spinning arrow, it's my dream. And Grandmother Willow's like, go to him, go to your man. And she's like, I will go. And then she gets like help from the forest spirits to run really fast Mm -hmm. and we get the climactic thing with John Smith on the rock and Powhatan's going to bash his head in and she throws himself, she throws herself over John Smith and she's like, if you want to kill him, you have to kill me first. And it's like, okay, it's a bold strategy. Let's see if it pays off. <laughs> the magic leaves were there. Yes, they were. Don't forget about those magic leaves. Yep. They made everything better. Right. Made it so that her father understood her. Because mm-hmm. mm-hmm. she was probably speaking English. <laughs> <laughs> 
<laughs> She's like, magic leaves. Am I speaking the right language? <laughs> it's a good thing that the magic leaves were there because Pocahontas is able to convince her father not to kill John Smith and also to not, I guess go to war even though everyone is there to throw down and then he starts talking to the settlers and it's like okay he got some like leaves blown around and i think did the settlers get leaved Leaf? i think they I've, must every, have because everybody's been leafed everyone's been leafed okay yeah because mm-hmm. yeah he's like hey all let's be friends and not have hate in our hearts and then he's like done and Ratcliffe's like oh we ain't done so he grabs a gun goes to shoot at Powton John Smith does the no side jump block the bullet thing and then I guess has a what do you call that a side stitch or something like that he must have yeah he was jumped and then probably jumped wrong and he like pulled a muscle because he kind (laughs) of flopped out sideways kind of weird yeah mm-hmm. i mean there was no, no bullet blood. wound <laughs> no blood you know ratcliffe's defense though you know maybe he was holding his breath or something and the leaves didn't get to him yeah. so he had no idea what the chief was saying so he's seen so the chief up there and he's like yeah. what is he talking about are you here? I don't understand what he's saying. What's going on? <laughs> Everybody else in the camp yeah. knows what's going on. This is why they all turn on him so mm-hmm. quickly. Maybe. What's weird is that baby Christian Bale is like the one who steps up to like start giving orders. And it's like, he's getting a little big for his britches. And they all follow him though. Yeah. Not only do they follow him, but he stays behind. I wonder if he ever strikes it big, gets a bunch of money. And then he's the beginning of the Wayne family line <laughs> and that's why they're all so rich and he's played by Christian Bale so <laughs> or he changes his name to John Rolfe and, and gets stranded in Bermuda and comes back later and falls in love with Pocahontas and they get married because, sort of like yeah. John Smith goes back to England and then Pocahontas is all like oh I miss him and Thomas is like hey <laughs> <laughs> I could change my name to John <laughs> <laughs> you can call me John. And I say that because Christian Bale played John Rolfe in a, another make of the story called The New World. Nice. Everything is wrapped up in a tiny little bow. Ratcliffe is arrested and he's being sent back to England. John Smith is going back to England because apparently he was shot. I don't know. But the movie ends on this touching shot. There we go. (laughs) But we get this touching shot. He's on the boat going back to England, and Pocahontas is up on a cliff, and they do their wingapo goodbye salute thing, and the music swells, and we fade into a a picture, and that is 1995's Pocahontas. So I'm going to go around and ask what everyone's favorite thing is. Brian, did you have a favorite part of this movie? You didn't warn me this was going to (laughs) happen. You just did. Like 10 seconds ago. That's not enough time. (laughs) (laughs) Favorite part? Mm, Oh, skip me. Come back to me. Julia, did you have a favorite part of this movie? I think the music in general is Mm -hmm. really good. Not all the songs are great in context. (laughs) But they're not technically bad songs. Like, they're well-written and well-composed songs. Mm -hmm. Their content is awful. But they're still good songs. And the big memorable songs that are, you know, the Disney classic the Colors songs. of the Wind the, is a good, like... Yeah. Yeah. And, yeah. 
the, the music. Christina, do you have a favorite part of this movie? The end. I think that there's like... <laughs> I, think, I think I am a mom of kids who are the age to watch this movie, and I don't think there's anything redeeming about it. The animation is bad. The songs are okay. The lessons are non-existent. There's nothing uplifting about her story. It's <laughs> just really like, as soon as you said we'd be watching Pocahontas, I'm like, we can say bad things about it, right? Because Absolutely. I just don't find that there's anything redeeming about the movie. So you liked all. that it ended and it did not keep going. Right. <laughs> I like that we're no longer watching it. <laughs> Jim, did you have a favorite part? I'm with Christina. I don't like it at all. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Allison, what was your favorite part? I have to say that I did like the animation. And I'll tell you why. We talked during when we were watching the movie, we said it reminded you of Sleeping Beauty. Um, yeah. The way that the trees are very linear. Uh, yeah, a lot of the landscape. Um, Sleeping Beauty is my favorite Disney movie of all time. So I liked the animation in this one. I thought it was beautiful. As unrealistic as it was with the high bluffs and all that stuff, it really was beautiful. Yeah. Brian, did you have a favorite thing? Um, I'm going to give a shout out to Sean Sullivan and say the backgrounds. <laughs> did, he, did he work on the movie? Yeah. Okay. I think it was his first major Disney the, is he in the credits? film. Yes. If there's one thing about this movie that I liked the most, it was probably Miko, because I like raccoons. I've always had dark circles under my eyes because I never got enough sleep, and so I really connected with raccoons as a my spirit animal. If I had a Patronus, it would probably be a raccoon. <laughs> I was wondering when Harry Potter would show up. Okay, yep. I didn't mention this at the beginning when we started talking about like Pocahontas being able to know where Flit was. But there is an established canon in the Harry Potter universe of Native American Indians being wizards and, they and don't doing use wandless wands. magic. So, so yeah, Pocahontas was totally a wizard. Pocahontas nice. could be in the Harry Potter canon. Absolutely. So I was thinking the whole time we've been watching uh, the Star Wars movies, and I'm like, they're just like the wizards in Harry Potter, and they don't need wands. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Their wands are laser swords. <laughs> no, their wands are their minds. Of course. Going back to Flit, real quick, um, we commented during the movie, how many times did Flit die or should have died? <laughs> <laughs> it's one tough bird. Yep. Mm -hmm. For a hummingbird, he's alarmingly resilient. Yeah. But I liked Miko. I, I thought he was a fun addition to the movie, even if he was like rather distracting at times. But distracting in a good way to me. Allison, do you have a least favorite thing about this movie? Probably just the whole scenario of instant distrust and hatred between the two peoples with no effort whatsoever to at least make friends and, you know, if not understand each other. Just instant, instant clash. Like Jim? To me, it's the incomplete lessons that Christina was talking about. The stereotypes and the bigotry. Christina? I think it's the magic leaves that, <laughs> <laughs> as wonderful as they are, <laughs> I just don't like that in a story that's supposed to be based on real life events, there's just this inexplicable magic that's there to solve their problems, communication mm -hmm. problems in, in particular. Julia, what did you not like about this movie? The romantic storyline. There's enough interesting things about this period in history, and even if you're gonna go inaccurate like they did that's fine it's a disney movie i don't need it to be accurate but there's still plenty to explore of a young woman who is trying to decide between her responsibility and following the mysteries of an adventurous life 
And I think that's where Moana got the storyline right. Yeah, like they redid it without the romantic storyline, and it's Moana. Here we are 20 years later, and now we get Moana. Yeah, which Moana is, I think, one of my favorite Disney movies of all time. So it's like Pocahontas done right. In many senses, yeah. Although, yes. is James Cameron's Avatar Pocahontas done right? <laughs> no. I no. Think no. Avatar was right. No. <laughs> no, I think it was done in different colors. Yeah. <laughs> it was done in blue instead of copper. It was blue Pocahontas. <laughs> it's, yeah. It wasn't Technicolor magic leaves. They were glow-in-the-dark magic plants. Jellyfish flowers. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> exactly. Brian, what was your least favorite part of this movie? You know what? I really I think my least favorite part probably was just the historical inaccuracies. I mean, they they basically took an idea. Pocahontas was only ten years old. Did you know that? That's oh. right. That's right. So, <laughs> yeah. I mean, they took a general idea and wrote their own storyline, completely disregarding any type of historical truth, right? I mean... (laughs) Julia, if we ever sit down and watch the movie Anastasia, we can't invite Brian because it'll drive him crazy. (laughs) Yes, yes it will. It's like Rasputin didn't have a talking bat named Bartok. (laughs) If we can ever find a reason to do Anastasia, love that movie so much. Invite me. (laughs) But I mean... Kids go to school, right, and they learn about history, and especially in this area, they might learn about Jamestown's history and about the Powhatan tribe and Pocahontas and everything. Our son knows so much about the local history, I can't believe it. But if they've seen the Disney version of Pocahontas, they think they know what's going on, but Mm. they really don't. So it's really not great for our kids to learn things it didn't actually happen. You know, yeah. you know what I mean? No, it makes sense to me. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And, you know, well, I'm 58 years old, and I went to school in Connecticut, and this basic story, the love affair and Pocahontas saving John Smith's life, is what I learned in school. That's disgusting. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. I can't remember learning any Native American history. And in Connecticut, where I also went to school, we have a rich Native American history in our area as well. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That was never taught. I never learned any of that kind of stuff in school. It was all colonies and... Yeah. British history. British. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. And what's sad, too, is that, I mean, a lot of adults will think the same thing. I mean, they really don't know their history or watch the movie and think, oh, that's what really happened. And it's not even close. Yeah. If there's one thing that I liked the least about this movie, it would actually be the character animation. Because I was really bothered every time they showed Pocahontas or her friend. If you were looking straight at their face, they didn't have a nose. They had a nostril and like a bit of a rounded bit to supposed to be the end of their nose. And there was one point where Allison, I think you were talking about who does Pocahontas remind me of? And someone else said Lucy Liu. Uh, yeah, I said Lucy Liu. And it's like, Lucy Liu is not Native American. No, she is not. Asian. Yes, she is. In descent. No, and the and person, like, the actress who I thought Nikomi reminded me of is also Asian. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So it just, the character models just seemed off to me and it was very distracting and it was just the female native americans 
Well, I noticed Ratcliffe's nose was horrible. Oh my gosh, more like, like a box mm. on the front there of the was, There was one point, they, one angle that they showed, and I could not figure out what was going on. With it. Like, <laughs> like his face there was, was like, nothing but nose holes. There was, yes, exactly. There were some nostrils, and I was like, what is that attached to? <laughs> I suppose it's two completely separate teams who do the backgrounds and the vistas and the scenery as opposed to the character animations, but it is extremely yes. clear and obvious that it was two separate teams. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Because the background, the scenery and whatnot is beautiful. And then there's the character animations, which They is... were like paintings of, you know, a forest that you would turn your wall. Yeah. It wasn't cohesive. Mm-hmm. It was very obvious that there were different teams working on it, and it just like randomly came together. That pretty much brings us to the end of this episode. Brian, what are your final thoughts and would you recommend this movie? I would not recommend this movie. <laughs> and those are my final thoughts. Okay. <laughs> Allison, what are your final thoughts? Uh, yeah, I think they really missed an opportunity. But I see that a lot in Hollywood when they take a story and it could have been, if you know the book, you'd think, oh man, why didn't they do this? It would have been just as great a story, if not better. And I think this was the same thing. I think they missed the mark totally, and no, I would not recommend the movie. Jim? Mine is a thumbs down. Totally. They missed the mark entirely. Christina, final thoughts? Go watch Moana. (laughs) (laughs) Julia, what are your final thoughts for Pocahontas? My thoughts are similar to Christina's, but I want to take it a step further. The, The good things about this movie, the background scenery, the music, the independent soul of a strong female character. Disney did better in other movies. Mm. With the music, almost any other movie. They're great at music. So you can find that in almost any Disney movie. But the background scenery, if you liked it in this movie, go watch Sleeping Beauty. If you like the independent spirit, go watch Moana. Go watch Mulan. And those are its redeeming qualities that you can find better elsewhere. Mm. What did you think of Mel Gibson in this movie? Yeah, we didn't get to that. Oh yeah, we didn't talk about him at all. I found Mel Gibson's performance to be very minor. I didn't feel like his presence was very large. I mean, yes, he was the main romantic lead for the movie, but I felt like his lines were very few and far between. Yeah, he didn't come out. He didn't shine. Nope. I think it could have been... He did sing. A couple of lines. (laughs) But his singing was just, it wasn't good, it wasn't bad. Right. I think it could have been any male actor in Hollywood. Absolutely. Mm. Could have been David Arden Steers. I say. (laughs) He's already doing two. He's so versatile, you know? Yeah. Yeah. My final thought for this movie is that Alan Menken's music is really good. The score for this movie is excellent, and I appreciate that Disney put out a movie where a Native American woman is the main protagonist of the film, and I appreciate them being that flavor of progressive. That being said, Moana was a million times better. (laughs) (laughs) And if you want to stretch the qualifications... The qualifications, I think I said, of (laughs) what we select for hiatus material. We probably could have just watched Moana because it's a Polynesian culture movie. Mm -hmm. And, you know, Samoans and Maori and all that stuff. Right next door. Are right next door to Australia. So, sorry everyone. We watched Pocahontas (laughs) instead. So keep talking about Moana. (laughs) Because why not? We should do Moana tomorrow night. (laughs) (laughs) A difference between Moana and Pocahontas that people really love about Moana is how deeply that movie 
delved into the culture of that area of the world. Mm. And really led us into what they hold dear and what their legends are. This movie didn't do that. No. At all. In fact, I had a hard time figuring out. They showed a little bit of some kind of Native American culture. Some of their beliefs and, you know, spirits and and kind of this mysticism. and, And I couldn't figure out, like, how accurate was that? How... It felt um, stereotyped. It felt very stereotyped, yeah. but yeah. was any of it not offensive? <laughs> yeah. I don't know. <laughs> right. It didn't offend me in particular. Was any of it not offensive to people who know better? Yeah. yeah. I couldn't tell. They missed an opportunity to actually teach us something about the culture of the people of this area of the world. People got to learn something about Polynesian culture that was accurate. Yeah. And they really, really missed an opportunity to do the same with Pocahontas. Only missed. Missed by a long shot. I think that's the difference that 20 years makes. I think in 1995 we didn't care about accuracy and... Culture. Yeah, representing people's culture in a respectful way. I just don't think they cared as much in 1995 and and now in 2000, when was Moana, 15 or 16? We care a lot more about being respectful and educational. It's funny you say that because I was thinking about Mulan, which is also one of my favorite Disney movies, Mm -hmm. came out in 1998. And as far as I'm aware, that movie represented ancient Chinese culture in a respectful way. Very much about honor, discipline, tradition. Those things were very important to them, and it expressed those in a respectful way. And that was only three years later. So... (sighs) I just think they missed the mark. Yeah, I I just think Pocahontas is a bad movie. (laughs) (laughs) Well... On that note, I would like to thank everyone for sitting down and recording this hiatus episode for us. We are zero and two for liking children's movies during our hiatus. Well, we had a partial positive experience with Happy Feet. Julia liked it, I didn't, and I think we almost universally don't like Pocahontas, but you know what? We've watched a lot of great movies, and coming up very shortly after this, we're going to be launching right into Thunderdome, so that's going to be pretty awesome. The Mad Max Minute Podcast is a fan project by Rick and Julia Ingham. The Mad Max franchise was created by George Miller and Byron Kennedy, and presented by Warner Brothers Pictures in association with Village Roadshow Pictures. Pocahontas is presented by Walt Disney Pictures in association with Walt Disney Feature Animation. Mad Max Minute is produced and edited by Rick Ingham. Our opening music is by Daniel Batista of DanielBatista.com. You can follow Mad Max Minute on Twitter at Mad Max Minute, on Facebook at Mad Max Minute Beyond Microphone, and at MadMaxMinute.com. And finally, if you would like to contribute to the podcast, visit MadMaxMinute.com, click on the support link at the top of the page, and check out our Patreon to help us keep the tanks full. Thank you for joining us for Mad Max Minute. We'll see you next time. All of my life I have searched for a land like this one A wilder, more challenging country I couldn't design Hundreds of dangers await and I don't plan to miss one In a land I can claim, a land I can tame The greatest adventure is mine Keep on working, lads Don't be shirking, lads, mine Boys, 